Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. Today on Mom Brain, we want to do our part and address issues that have plagued us for way too long regarding uh, racism, regarding police brutality, um, regarding injustices that some understand too well and some understand not very well. And I think as parents, we are confronted both by what we want to learn ourselves to be educated, to be allies, to be informed, to be just proactive and and about what we can be teaching our children and what's appropriate to share and also what's essential to share. And we felt that this discussion was absolutely critically important. And we knew you guys as parents who are always thinking about your children and their development and their happiness and their security um, would be thinking about this too. So we wanted to make sure to include you as a part of it. We've also heard from many of you about how to speak to our children about what is going on in the world uh, right now and how to speak to our children about differences in race, differences in ideas, You know, I think a lot of us are fearful that we're going to do it wrong. You know, we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk, of course, with a child psychologist about how to help children all across this country confront this issue. But she herself is from the West Indies. She's raising two children of color. She is so proactive about giving them a history and a information base to pull from that is empowering so lots to learn from Dr. Lockhart. Mom Mommy! So I'm Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart. I'm a pediatric psychologist and parent coach. I'm also a, the president and owner of A New Day Pediatric Psychology in San Antonio, Texas. And I've been married 21 and a half years. Ooh. And I have a 10-year-old daughter and a 7-year-old son. And I'm originally from St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And where can we follow you and learn more about your practice? Uh, So I'm very active on Instagram. And you can follow me at Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart or my practice at A New Day Psych. And then also on Facebook at A New Day Pediatric Psychology. And then my website um, is a new day, S-A as in San Antonio.com. So, I mean, obviously we're going we're gonna to get into everything that's, that's going on right now, which is a lot. One of the things in our own family, and Daphne and I each have four, I've, I've got um, number five on the way. And what I'm realizing now is that the conversation might need to happen sooner than we thought. So the question is, how early do you begin? Because with some of this, I've started talking, I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a three-year-old, a two-year-old. And with, um, with this, how, how much of it should we say now? And then how much of that now is making it an issue that shouldn't be an issue for them because they just love and support absolutely everybody right now? When do you let them know that we're all not all different? That's a great question. And I think people think, you know, they, I often hear people say, well, you know, I want to raise my kids to be colorblind or I don't want them to see color. And, and I, I almost tell them and I said, 
that that's not the goal. The, the goal isn't to be colorblind. I, I obviously have a different color than someone else. Everybody has different colors, different shades. I don't want my kids, I don't want kids to be raised to be colorblind because we see who's in front of us. Right. And so I, I, what I want to teach kids and what I want to teach my own kids is not to treat someone differently because of their color. That's the, that's the big distinction for me. And so, and they've known developmentally um, from a very early age, little babies see the difference between another person compared to their caretaker. So even from as little babies, they understand when people are different than what is the norm in their life. So I think from a very early age, we just, it may not even be very explicit in terms of verbal because most of how kids learn is through play, through symbolism. So a lot of it is to explore and introduce things in their lives that are just part of it. So for example, it would be having um, art that's done by different artists in your home, dolls that are of different colors in your home, movies that represent different cultures and ethnicities in your home. That's how I see is where you start the discussion early on is by having it done in a way that is just a normal everyday part of life is that we are totally integrated with everything that doesn't always look like us. That's a really good way to put it. I think it's so, it's interesting. I'm just as you're talking, cause I'm, I'm like in my mind clocking through like, you know, what are some of the shows that we watch that are, and I think that they, I think that there has been, I hope it was conscious, but it, it was done regardless that there has been this really wonderful push towards children's programming that does offer an inclusive vision into what the, what a life looks like. And, um, and that does give kids perspective. I'm really curious though, because I think something that a lot of parents want to know and and grapple with, um, where do you think that that sort of like the hidden biases are happening and the the sort of tricky parts that people with no malintent and no feeling that they're actually doing anything negative to their kids, but it's happening, you know, underground or it's happening quietly or it's happening just in, in an entrenched way. What are some of those in your mind and how can parents um help navigate it for themselves and help their children navigate it also? That's a great question, Daphne. I think that um, we are always getting messages all the time. And as we're growing up, whether it's the symbolism, the snarky remarks, the jokes, uh, the TV shows we watch, the things we read uh, and expose our kids to is that we're constantly getting messages all the time. And so because I'm a pediatric psychologist and a parent coach as well, a lot of what I help parents with when they come to see me is when they're having struggles with their parent, th- with their children, it's because of their own upbringing and their own childhood, things that they're bringing to the table, right? right. I want to be nothing like my parents or just like my parents. But then the parents <laughs> are the way, it is the frame of reference that they're using, right? The problem with that is that that's the frame of reference you're always using. Why not create your own frame of reference? And it's hard to do that when that's always the, the standard you're judging it against, So it's the same thing with racism and prejudice and microaggressions and discrimination is we are raised with a set of values that we don't even realize we have. Um, I've been talking to a lot of my colleagues who are white, who are just like, they're confused because they didn't even know a lot of these things, these things were a thing. And when we're talking about it, they're like, what? I didn't even realize that was a thing like colorism or, you know, being treated differently or feeling like you don't fit in and because they never had to think about it. And so I think just as we have to kind of reparent ourselves in a way when we're raising our own kids, I think we also have to do the work as well about what our own biases are, because we all have them. You may not be a blatant racist, but everybody has some prejudices because we all make judgments about people before we even know them, right? Mm -hmm. You automatically assume, 
oh, she's blonde or she's a redhead or she's Hispanic or she's black. Like, we make assumptions and they're not always done out of ill will, but it's because of what we were raised with. So I think we have to do that work. We have to create a different narrative based on what was instilled in us. And I think that's what makes the big deal. So when your kid makes a little remark like, oh my gosh, look at her, she's blank, whatever it is, to be able to correct it in the moment and be able to educate them why that's not appropriate, not in a shaming way, but in an educational way. So we could start changing it. What would be the words that you would say so that you're not shaming your kids, but you are educating them at the same time in that scenario? Right. So say if my kid were to see someone who looked very different from them. So say my son said, and he actually did say this um, when he was much younger, he was like, oh my gosh, look at that person. She looks so pale with freckles. What's wrong with her? (laughs) And I was like, oh, you noticed that she looks very different from you. Look how differently her skin looks from you. Yeah, you noticed that. It's like, well, just like you have brown skin and I call you cinnamon, she has skin that's lighter than you. And she also has freckles and you notice that she has really red curly hair. So it's just more of a notice. Oh, you notice that. Mm. You notice that. For my kids, they rarely, rarely, rarely comment on how somebody looks ever. And, I, and I've been looking for it. I mean, look, I bought them and everybody's buying them like these like darker, there are darker dolls with darker features and everything at the beginning, because I was like, well, they, you know, we want them to not have just that blonde hair, blue eye ba- baby doll. So it was interesting. My kids, they just never, ever really talk about it. And so, I, I mean, is it if, if they don't talk about it, should we be bringing it up? Yes, we should. Because mm. they're still noticing, but they may not be noticing it in a negative way. They may not be seeing it and say, oh, that's bad because this person is different, but we should still talk about it. We should still educate them on the histories of different people. You know, the different, talk to them about melanin. I, I mean, I educated my kids at a very young age about melanin, why people have different colorations, talked about, you know, how different genes get expressed, you know, that how different people come from different regions and what different people from different places look like. So depending on what their developmental stage is, what their age is, um, all of those things, we should still have those conversations, but it doesn't need to be like the talk. It mm-hmm. could just be something that you talk, that it should be a normal part of talking. And I realize a lot of times kids don't get that, which is why a lot of, you know, parents are saying, well, you know, how do we even start that conversation? Because we don't ever think about it. I'm like, well, you should, because we are surrounded by a variety of different people, depending on where you live. And it's important to have that discussion, even if they don't bring it up. What do you think is the way, the best way in your practice and, and with your, you have a son, you said you, is, is he, he's how old is he now? He's seven and my daughter is 10. Oh, okay. Amazing. Uh, fun ages. You're right. You're like one step function ahead of Alari and I, our oldest are both six. Um, what do you think is the best way to, uh, to talk to kids in a way, like how do children absorb information? Um, and how do, how do seeds of all kinds, negative racist seeds, but also positive ones to counteract anything negative. How do they take root? How do they implant? How do they, um, how do they really flourish in a kid's brain? And what can we do to foster, foster the, the ideals that we have for our kids? That's great. Great, great question. Um, a lot of it comes from, I mean, our brain is constantly being wired and conditioned all the time. And so we have to pay attention to what we're wiring our kids' brains to be wired to. So it's, we're making connections and our brain tries to find the most efficient and, and, um, less energy expended way Mm -hmm. to absorb information. Mm -hmm. And so it looks for the easiest route, which is where a lot of times stereotypes come from, right? Because if you see this, then it means that this person is this, that's energy efficient. You make, Mm -hmm. right. 
snap judgment because it's easy because if you say well maybe they did this because of blank 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 that requires too much effort and our brain doesn't often want to do that So I think we really want, that's why we want to always provide opportunities for information and uh, access to information so that they don't always have to make assumptions about things, that their brain starts to make those connections on its own. And that's how we're kind of rewiring our kids to think differently, to not be racist, to not be so judgmental of other people that they can just give people the benefit of the doubt because that's how our family is wired to do that. So just like in your families, when you say we have dolls of different looks, like that's just the norm. But there are, I've seen kids where they say, oh, no, I don't want that doll. That's an ugly doll. You know, that's that's because that's all they know is having white dolls with blonde hair. So when they see a black doll, they think that's automatically not the desirable one. So we have to constantly look at giving them those experiences and having those discussions. And, you know, like you said, Daphne, giving having different TV shows that they're exposed to so that there is no norm of beauty or norm of entertainment. Right. With what's going on right now. um, And it's an interesting time because we are in quarantine. So the idea of, you know, having these conversations with our kids who are very, very little, they're not really aware of it because we're inside. We are people that, my husband and I don't watch a lot of TV. um, And if we do, it's going to be late at night after the kids are going to sleep. So they're not really seeing what's going on. But with this opportunity um, to have this, have this discussion as, you know, we were, we were talking about um, what, um, what Obama had written on his Instagram about that this can be an opportunity, even though it's really difficult right now, it's actually an opportunity for change. How can we take this opportunity and properly describe it to our children when they're actually not seeing it? I mean, my kids could literally live through this entire thing and not know. They could absolutely not know. Is that better for them to protect them, to shield them, um, because there's so much scary stuff going on right now? Or is it better to create or take parts of it that they are capable of understanding and present that information to them? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think it really depends on their age, right? So my kids are seven and 10, but they don't know what's actually happening right now. They don't need to. Um, for me personally, I don't think that I need to be exposing them to all the ugliness that's happening and all the debating that's going on right now. They are already aware that they're different and that being different has been a problem for us historically. They're aware of that. And they became aware of that when we went to a museum of cultural, different cultures and they saw it right there. And so I think it depends on the, the age that your child is at, what you exactly expose to them and what you exactly talk about. So if they're really little, I would say doing it more in terms of just books, having a variety of books that bring up culture, race differences. And again, it doesn't have to be blatant because most of the things that are most successful with children are things that are done metaphorically. So when you look at the best children's books and the best children's movies, there's symbolism that's in there. And that's how I think it's best in terms of celebrating differences, celebrating other people who are different than you. So when they're really little, I think that's where it would kind of go. The dolls, the toys they have, that kind of stuff. As they're older, like preteen, tween, teenager, and they're going to be exposed because they're on TikTok, social media and the news, so all that stuff, then it's really having a very open conversation with them. And of course, based on your ethnic background, talking to them about what they think about it, how they feel about it. So 
Yes, I believe that even though they're quarantined, depending on what their age is and what they're actually exposed to, then we have those discussions based on that exposure and based on what they could potentially be exposed to. But I think we should constantly be having those discussions. So I'm always talking to my kids about different things, what they're learning in the books, what they're learning um, when they're watching things, making sure they're watching TV shows that have people, different people represented as well, too. No, did you guys see what um, Jennifer Garner posted on her Instagram? No, it's very, very, very powerful. It's um, hashtag I promise to listen. Mm. And it's a bunch of everybody is is African-American and it's either uh, there's parents and there's a grandmother talking to their kids about safety. And in my in my pregnant state, I'm not going to get too emotional, like crying right now. But it was like the little, little girl. And he's like, if you get stopped, you put your hands up and you say, and she, and she like repeats, I don't have anything. I'm not going to hurt you. And you're seeing this little, little girl do that. And I'm sorry. And, you know, being, I mean, you're, you're African-American and raising African-American children. These are things that people are describing, are explaining to us that we don't have to say to our children because yeah. our children are white. And, you know, for, for so many of us, you know, who think, well, we're liberal and we don't, we don't, I don't, I'm not racist. I am not homophobic. I'm nothing. I think everybody's equal. We're all great. Let's just be namaste. Bam. Let's be namaste. That's what I want the world to be. And then they're saying to me that that's not enough. And as a parent, I want to make sure that I'm doing enough to raise my kids, not just to be like me, but to also understand how other people have to grow up and live and be. And not just because, hey, around me, you're safe. Because I think that, you know, we're flesh and blood. You know, I'm a science person in terms of genetics. Like I realize we're actually so much more similar than we are different. But how are we supposed to teach our children? How, number one, how do you teach your children that moment where they go in, they're like, whoa, I'm not the same as, as everybody else. You know what I mean? I have, I explained to my children, you speak two languages and that's really cool. And I tell them that all the time. My kids go to school in Spanish. 90% of their class is in Spanish because I want them to have that. You know, their grandparents live in Spain. My brother lives in Spain. Everybody's in Spain. And I don't want them to lose that. But then you hear on the news that people think that speaking Spanish, sometimes some people in this country think speaking Spanish is not good. Mm-hmm. And so I make sure that I tell them that it's a really good thing. So and for how for you as an African-American mother raising African-American children, how do you make sure that they know not only, unfortunately, how to keep themselves safe, but that they are v- valuable and this is all so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, man, that's such a big, heavy question that takes, it, it, it's painful to even have to have that discussion, right? And so I think that's what I really saw. We went to this um, museum that it was the, because I'm in Texas and it was talking about all the cultures that make up Texas. And it was such a beautiful concept. So we go there and we look at all these groups, the Lebanese and the, the, um, the African-Americans and you know the natives and all these different people, the Chinese, the Japanese, all these people I didn't even realize made up the entire state. But everything was, you know, display after display, you saw the oppression and how they got wiped out or the, how they were exterminated, how they were mistreated. And having to explain that to my kids was heart-wrenching because they're like, why are we constantly always being treated badly? what is wrong with us? And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with you. They're like, but why? Why are we always being treated this way? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. 
But what I do know is that we can start changing things for the future in terms of how we think about people and that we could start celebrating our beauty and we can start celebrating what we contribute to this world. And so really trying to make it where they're looking at letting them know what the true history is, no matter how ugly it is, and then also helping them understand that it doesn't have to continue being this way, that we this is what has happened in our history, but we can start to think about people differently. We don't have to treat people differently because of the way they look. And so really trying to emphasize that because that is such a hard thing to do when everything around them is showing that we're less than because of what we look like. And so I think for me, the way I have the discussion is a kind of a balance of the beauty and the wonder of us, why melanin is amazing, why your complexion, why our hair being curly, why those are all good things, but also why those were things that made us a target and explaining to them the history of slavery, the history of what that looked like. Now, I'm actually West Indian. I'm from the Caribbean and I was born and raised there. And so my history in terms of being black is very different than being here in the States. And um, so I, I talked to them about how blacks, how Africans were brought to the islands and why they were brought. I talked to them about what we harvested in terms of the sugarcane. I talked to them about like how we had our uprising and abolished slavery because of how we spoke up. So I talked to them about the, the history, all the ugly parts of it, as well as the really good parts of it. And because of that, the island is more celebrated and more represented in terms of people of color because of that. And so it gave me a very different perspective compared to the culture shock I had when I came to the States at 18. And I was like, wait, wait, we're not in power? Like, what the heck? I wait, we yeah, what power. was that like? Because you came oh as an gosh. adult. I mean, what was what did that even feel like? I was 18 as a college student and went to Buffalo, New York for college. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nice and warm. <laughs> I mean, oh, my gosh. Talk about the culture and the weather shock all at once. And it was traumatizing for me. It was really overwhelming because I was like where I grew up. Police officers were Puerto Rican, Dominican, mm -hmm. and Black. Business mm -hmm. owners had money. They had influence who were people of color. So it was like a flip-flop. It was like a reversed world, you know? Um, and so that was, I, I talked to, them, to my kids about that, that not everywhere is like that, and not everybody sees us that same way. Mm. So I think that's why it's really important to educate our kids about the history, the true history, because I think a lot of our history is very bleached in this country, and we're sharing things that aren't fully true. And I think we need to make sure our kids get the real history, no matter how bad it is. How can how can parents who might not be uh, you know as informed as, as they'd like to be about uh, as about an unbleached history get access to that and, and 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 educate ourselves and educate our kids as a result? I think that's where we look up black authors historians, yes, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, to make sure that you're getting the history from the source. Um, and that, you know, we're looking at black history, black, his, um, uh, black art, black, all of those different things. So that when you're looking at the authors of what African American or, or history looks like, it's coming from not just the European standard or point of view as well, too. So I think that's where it comes from. It seems like the attitude that you're trying to give your kids is one of as much having history inform a perspective that gives you power in the future, not makes you feel less than, not makes you feel undermined. It, it really is so that you can actually achieve. And um, the most devastating feeling is feeling powerless. Like every, we, you know, what's a good path forward? What's a good, um, what's a good action step families can take? And I'd love to hear what you think would be a good way to get little kids involved so that it feels very innate and, and inborn in terms of something that they're just used to doing all the time. Yeah. Um, I think, where that could start is, you know, like if it's looking at cartoons or uh, animators, illustrators, 
Uh, Oh, fun. Yeah. You know, people Mm -hmm. who um, there's a few that I follow that I have my kids, especially with quarantine, because everybody's at home and everybody's drawing and doing tutorials. Um, Frank Abney, who's an illustrator with Disney. Uh, He's African-American. He's one of the very few uh, who works on Pixar films. And he is phenomenal. He's worked on Incredibles. He worked on Toy Story. And he's he's uh, releasing his own movie. um, And he's an illustrator. And so I show them his things and that all of them, maybe maybe not black characters, but there's a black illustrator in within Disney and in Pixar. Um, Vashti Harrison is another illustrator who um, she was the illustrator for Hair Love that uh, won awards recently, and um, she writes about you know everything that she draws are uh, brown girls, black girls with curly, big, poofy hair, and she teaches kids how to draw curly hair, like just something so simple like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think exposing them to things like that so that everything they're seeing is not the same kind of narrative, the same kind of perspective. Uh, I, I like that. And I think it's it's something that's very simple, but because kids are so visual, um, I think that really helps them to see, oh, I am represented, which is why movies like Black Panther was so important because it's showing the positive side because so many times Black people are represented as stereotypes and it, it doesn't feel good to see that all the time, to be drug dealers and thugs and prostitutes. I mean, it's like it, that gets old. So to see a film that celebrated the beauty and the hair and the costuming and the whole cast for the most part and everybody who worked on it were that. My kids love that. They love to see the behind the scenes because we don't see that very often. And I think that's how we expose our kids to that, that what you have to contribute is meaningful and important. You have to be able to see your goal too. I mean, you have to see that, that represented so that you can start to visualize it. We're such visual creatures. We have to be able to do that. Um just as a quick departure, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you talk to your kids about COVID. And you said Uh, you mentioned you were in quarantine and what that's been like for you as a parent um, and what it's been like for your kids trying to, trying to, I mean, it's just, it's very, very overwhelming, sensorily, environmentally (laughs) adding this, you know, it's, it's been a lot. So have you, how have you handled it? How have you talked to your kids about it? What do you think is, you know, the appropriate way to, again, inform without terrifying, inform without making, making it worse, you know? Yes. Okay. So my kids are 10 and seven, right? And we've been in quarantine now 11 weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in the beginning, I just told them the basics that we have to stay home because there's a virus that they don't quite understand yet. And it's very contagious. So it's like the flu and the cold, you can catch it pretty easily. And so I want to make sure that, that we stay safe. And that's why we're staying home. And then as it went on and we were like, oh, wow, so I guess we're not going to go back soon. So then we, (laughs) within like the second or third week, that's when I started educating them more about what exactly the virus is as I learned about it. And then I actually showed them through stones. We had these like colorful stones Mm -hmm. and I showed them how the virus is transmitted and how quickly it can transmit to other people. Mm. Um, And so that kind of showed them visually about that. And I said, well, so we're not going to go back to school just yet. And that's why it's being so kind of like at different stages of the the quarantine. That's when I was explaining more about what was going on and why they should be. That's why we're staying home and why we're staying safe. So it was just kind of letting them ask questions and being able to give them that platform to be able to understand what it is without being fearful of it and why we're staying home, why we're washing our hands, why we're not going out and being around other people Um, but just kind of educating them on their level so they understand what it is and what we still don't understand about it. Emotionally, how are they doing with it? They did great. I mean, they did really great. I think what I'm most concerned about is that they are liking being at home now. Um, (laughs) And I think think the problem for a lot of people is going to be 
in August and September, if we go back at the time, um, how people are going to adjust. Because I think a lot of kids are going to be used to isolating. And I think that's going to be the bigger issue. Yeah, no, I mean, with with my, with my kids, at least my six-year-old, she's just like, she's done. Now she's carrying around a bear that she dresses up every day and calls it her best friend. She's like, because I have no friends, mom, because Aww. you want to. No, but she literally, she literally knows what she's doing, by the way. We feel, we feel like it's a little sad, like, oh, she's carrying around a bear. That's so sad. But she's like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> And you're right. It could be a really tricky transition back to reentry mm-hmm. if we, if you know, if if we've all gotten really comfortable never wearing pants with waistbands and never, you know, <laughs> having to brush our hair or do the normal things that we would do. But my son, who's idolizes his sister, he's the younger one, loves her to death. Has suddenly in the last three weeks started. What does he say? He's I want to be alone in my room. I want to have private time. And he's four. Like I didn't even think he knew what <laughs> private time meant. Have your, either of your children asked for independence and have you been able to give it to them in any meaningful way during this time? Yes, yes. Because what we try to do is, and, I, and I've coached a lot of the parents I see about this, is that it's, I think having a structure and a schedule because everybody's home is important, but we don't want to make it so rigid that it feels like there's no wiggle room mm. because kids thrive under having boundaries But at the same time, they need to have some sense of independence that you trust that I can make good decisions and I can trust myself for making good decisions without second guessing myself. And I was just talking to a teen about this um, who was feeling like she's always um, doubting herself. She's she's always feeling indecisive. Um, Yes. (laughs) And needing someone else to approve what she's doing, right? Right. (laughs) But I also know her parents and I know how they approach her because Mm -hmm. they're like, she does something and they're like, oh, well, why did it take you that long? But why didn't you do this instead? Or she'll do something. Well, well, why did you do it this way? Why not this way? And it's like, oh my gosh. So it's like when you're always doing that, what you're doing is you're implanting this idea not to trust my gut, not to trust my own decisions. And I always have to second guess myself. Mm. And I really try when my kids come to me and they're like, I I give them a lot of independence when it comes to watching certain things. So before this time, they they didn't have tablets. They didn't really have a lot of um, screen time. Um, They're definitely not on YouTube. I just I don't trust that enough to kind of go through different things. But they um, but I trust them on Netflix and Hulu because I have an account for them. And if they're not sure if they can watch a show, they ask. Mm hmm. If, you know, they're not sure how much longer they should watch, I said, you know, I'll leave it up to you. You can either end it at the end of this episode or you could wait for another hour. I'll leave it up to you. And they're like, you know what? I think I'll shut it down now because I had enough screen time. I'm going to go play with my sister now. I'm like, I think that's a great idea. Whatever you decide. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. And it it makes a big difference because even like now, right now it's summertime and they're like, well, what time should we wake up in the morning? I said, it's up to you. I'm going to go to work. Daddy's going to be at home with you. So if you decide to wake up early at the crack of dawn or you want to sleep in, that's up to you. There's no, literally no place to go, (laughs) you know? When the time comes that my kids sleep beyond six o'clock in the morning (laughs) and I have to be like, if you'd like to, you know, wake up early, that would be okay. I would love My kids love sleeping in. My kids love sleeping in. I had two questions. I had a a follow-up question about what you were saying in terms of explaining to your children about how they don't have to, how they look, can look, can decide to look at people and treat them well and real and notice differences, but not, not judge them for those differences. How do you raise your children 
having them know that they're going to get judged. And I guess, you know, as you said, you can get judged for lots of things. You know, I I can get judged for being short or, you know, Daphne can get judged for being blonde or, you know, this person get judged for the skin color, this person or how they dress, whatever it is. But there is something much more um, profound in society with history and everything that we've been talking about, about the color of your skin. How do you teach your children? How just on a gut level, are you know, once you begin that conversation, are they always going to be worried? Do you teach them to expect the best? What I have taught my kids is that regardless of who you are and what you look like, someone's always going to judge you. So you could be the perfect specimen of whatever it is that people think you're this perfect specimen of, and there's still going to be judgment because if you are like the perfect weight, the perfect height, the perfect everything, they'll be like, oh, you think you're so perfect. Like there's always going to be, there's always, there's you, can't gonna, you can't win ever. You can't win. And so when people tell me when I'm meeting with clients, especially my teens and my young adults, and they're like, oh, you know, I'll be happy when mm-hmm. uh, I was like, no, no. Or the parents I see and they're like, oh, I'll be happy when my kids listen to me. I'll be happy when they stop having tantrums. I'm like, no, you're not. Cause then there's going to be something new a new developmental stage is going to pop up. So you'll always be miserable if that's how you're looking at things. Right. So I really see it as helping them understand that judgment is inevitable. People are going to perceive you no matter what you do, but you have to be confident of who you are and what your intentions are and to trust that that is enough, whether people accept it or not. How do you give them that confidence? Even, I mean, the, the small decision-making things I think are so critical. I think exactly, I, I totally subscribe to this idea that adults have to, parents have to give boundaries so that kids feel secure, but within those secure surroundings, kids have to have agency so that they start to trust themselves. Like, how do you give them that confidence to know, to to trust themselves in that way and to know that their motivation and their, their security, their comfort, their, their, their confidence about what they're trying to be is more important than anyone else's judgment because there will be the judgment as well. Right. Well, how I help them build confidence is by helping them be okay with not being confident. (laughs) so like being okay being uncomfortable so like well so what if I go out in you know like my daughter had a speech meet before all this crap happened so like so be able to speak in front of someone she's like well the, the crowd well what if I mess up I was like well then you mess up or my son is like well what if I go to bed tonight and I have another bad dream I was like well if you're worried about having a bad dream then you will like whatever you focus your mind on is kind of what you self-fulfill. So, you know, or like when we wanted to get together with our family last week and we've all been isolating for 10 weeks and they were going to come over. We're like, okay, we're comfortable. Let's bring them over. We've all been isolated. I think we feel good about this. And he, my son is like, I feel uncomfortable with them coming over. And I said, I do too. I said, but it's okay that we're uncomfortable. So being okay with the discomfort. And I think making it plain like that is really helpful. And that's what I do when I talk, tell my kids that when you feel uncomfortable, it's okay to say that, that there's not bad or good emotions. Yeah. There's just emotions that are just, that they just are. And if you feel uncomfortable, it's okay to be uncomfortable. If you feel nervous, it's okay to be nervous. Um, do it while scared, you know? And so you're just doing it and you're facing it. And so, yes, it can be uncomfortable being in the world looking different, but you show up anyway. And I think that's what's so beautiful about all this stuff where people are showing up on social media talking about that, you know what, this is how we're going to show up in either in support or with a voice, because we want to be able to say this is enough. And we want to have a voice for it and to speak up about how we feel about it. On that topic, do you, can I ask you maybe if, if anything comes to mind, is there anything that you think needs to be spotlighted more that the conversation is not focusing on enough that, um, 
that you know you would want more people to be thinking and, and thoughtful about and devoting energy towards at this particular juncture? I, I think, honestly, I'm really proud of how, especially Instagram, how people are showing up. I mean, I'm so, I was just saying that yesterday to a bunch of um, people who reached out to me and just saying that I think it's about Black people, especially speaking up about um, struggles, sharing their stories and about the pride and the things that they want people to know and understand. And then on the the on the other side with all of our white co colleagues and influencers and celebrities being able to talk about things like, um, I am taking responsibility to educate myself mm -hmm. and to um, elevate the platform, to have my voice heard, and then to do the work to educate myself because I'm coming from a place where I didn't have to know. And so now I know that I need to know this, that I can't just use the excuse that it's not my experience, so I don't need to know. So I think that's what I think is being highlighted that really needs to continue because what I'm afraid of happening, what's going to happen is that this week, you know, we're having all this, um, uh, a lot of voices being heard. And then I feel like, and then we go right back to how life was as usual. And, I, and I, I'm afraid that that's going to happen again until the next shooting happens. And that's where I think we have to really be aware is that this doesn't end we have to continue to speak up and we have to continue to make our voices heard and to educate people so that we can start changing our world for our kids. But that's my fear with the whole social media thing. And this is this is something where I do take issue with social media as, as active as I am on it. Is I feel like sometimes there's this thing where you just there's people they, they just post because like you don't want to look bad, you know, kind of thing. And um and for me, I was I post was posting on my stories. So there's the stories and there's the feed. I was posting on my stories, different things that I found to be very powerful. And, and you're involved in so many other ways, but there's almost this push to be like this, this pressure of like, well, if you don't post this, you're a racist. Or if you don't do this. And then it's also, then then it's how easy is it to just press post on something and not really, really take it in? And so, you know. As much as I think that there's as important conversations and conversations, even if people are only taking in a tiny bit, it's better than not having the conversation at all, right? But it, but ultimately, it is the change that has to go beyond the social media, um, you know. And and we, uh, uh, Daphne and I, for our favorite things, we're about to ask you your favorite thing, our favorite favorite charity. We're gonna, we we decided to do a favorite organization today. A cause you want to highlight, just something yeah. to get people. Um, a and, path that they can and, and, you know, ultimately what, you know, uh, Daphne chose uh, the Boys and Girls Club um, and I chose two different organizations that promote voting and knowing your rights. Um, so, you know, focusing on the children and creating those really important, strong relationships and making, watching people grow um, and all the amazing things that the Boys and Girls clubs do, Club do. And then also saying, hey, you know what, well, we're really angry right now and we're going to have this conversation. But too often that conversation has gone away. We need to continue to go and you need to go and you need to vote. However you feel, you vote. I'm not going to tell you how to vote right now. But however you feel you need to vote, you need to actually go out there and vote. And vote big and vote small. All of the voting. So um, what organization, what would be a, a place where you feel like is a good, is a good resource or it could be a resource for kids, you know, to have this conversation with, with children, you know, is there an app, is there a program, is there something where, um, where we can um, improve our lives and our understanding? 
Yeah, there's um, there's there's a several, but the ones that I'm looking at are really kind of small. The one is um, diversity in parenting conference. My friend Mercedes Samudio, she created a an amazing conference because she was tired of the um, ethnic minority voices not being heard in the parenting realm. And so she created this amazing conference last year um, and it's a nonprofit. And so I would, I, I think highlighting that so people understand that there's, that's where a lot of parents can be equipped, where they can get a lot of information about how to raise children who are different in this next generation. So diversity in parenting is a big one. The second one I would say is probably um, uh, Jelani Memory. He created um, a kid's book about series where they have different books about different issues and they have one actually on racism and there's one on COVID. Um, so I think that's a really good one because it's written very directly, very plainly from directly from the author's experience. And I think that's a really good resource as well for parents. Amazing. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you Thank so you. much. Peter. This is a fact. So that was our conversation with Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart. And, you know, I thought it was really eye-opening and insightful of her to offer those ideas around around how to make the awareness of color, the aware the awareness of things you can see with your eyes which are observable, different and and allowed and to acknowledge them in our kids without making those things create judgments. I think that was a really interesting sort of just fluid dynamic that as a young kid of course like you you know you you see that uh whatever you see like this bottle is green i'm not going to tell you this bottle isn't green but there's no judgment around what green what being green means for that bottle and i think um i think that there's a real uh, you know a power for us as parents that we have right and i keep i keep you know on social media this is what i keep focusing on because i do think um people can feel very at a loss when they don't know where how to how to make sense of where their role is and how to feel powerful and feel able to affect the change they want to see um, and, and certainly there are, there are like so, so many incredible conversations about ways to be engaged right now and ways to be helpful right now and proactive and, and compassionate right now. But something that I think a lot of parents are thinking about is how, how can I, how can my power as a parent be channeled, um, into helping make sure that my children who we're all leaving as the stewards of the hopefully, um, you know, non-biased and fair and, um, and loving institutions that we want to create now and that we want to leave for them. Uh, if they're going to be the stewards of that, they have to, you know, they have to be quality people. They have to be people who, who hold these things to be true that, that, um, you know, that, that the things that we know about humans and the things that we know about humanity. So anyway, I just think that there's a lot of, there's a lot in what she was saying about, you know, nothing radical, nothing that you have to change immediately in a crazy way about your life that would that would feel like a departure, but a way to be conscious about the things that you daily consume and the ways that you daily show your children a, a, a sense of diversity and a sense of and just giving them a perspective about the way that different people live um, that I think broadens their horizons and makes them more loving of themselves and makes them more accepting of people who are different than they are in the best ways possible. I think the thing that I keep on learning from this podcast and today was a really great example of this is that it's important to start these conversations young mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and early and frequently. And of course, we want to do it in an age appropriate way. I I think that, you know, I what I'm going to take home from this, uh, many, many things, but it's just that I need to have more conversations with my children about this rather than just constantly, you know, trying to be like, oh, we're all this and we're all that. I don't, I don't know. What do you think about that? 
at its core, what you're saying is absolutely true. We are, we are all one. Your namaste point, I think is, is so like, so true to how you feel. And I think that that's where we're all striving to get to. And I think that we're working towards it, which is the good thing. And now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. So guys, today what we're going to do, instead of doing our typical product or book favorite thing, we are going to connect you guys with organizations. So my favorite thing today is Know Your Rights Camp, and it's knowyourrightscamp.com. Because I think right now, I'll tell you a little bit more about them in a second, but right now it's all about getting out and voting. Now, whatever your politics are, whoever you feel like is best to be in charge and best to, you know, see and make happen your inner values and what you want to see this great country be and become, um, just getting out there and sharing your voice is extremely important. Because what we're seeing right now all across this country is people going out there and very frustrated that they feel that their rights their ideas, their hopes, their dreams are not happening. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure that when these elections come about, that people are actually going out there and they're actually voting because every single vote does make a difference. Um, you know, I, I posted, maybe some of you guys saw on my Instagram, and I'm sure you guys saw on everybody else's Instagram, I, I reposted Barack Obama's um, information that he put up about about voting. And he said something that was extremely important and something that I was talking about in some of the comments the day before with with some of the people who were writing to me. And it was it's about it's not just the big spots. It's not just president, it's not just senator, it's not just governor. It's going down mayor. It's going down to the the ballots when you see those places that you may not know exactly who they are or what they are doing. Those ones are some of the most important spots. Really on a local level, you this is the time when we really need to focus on I need to be the change in my community that I want to see. And knowing these local spots, that's going to make a really big difference. Talking about the police force, talking about the unions, talking about how you want your particular area to run is extremely important. So Know Your Rights campaign, they say, our mission is to advance the liberation and well-being of black and brown communities through education, self-empowerment, mass mobilization, and the creation of new systems that elevate the next generation of change leaders. Everybody deserves a vote. There are certain communities that are marginalized and it makes voting very, very difficult, or people feel helpless and hopeless and that their vote does not count. And again, every single vote counts. So make sure that you, you know, log on, learn about it, help other people. That's something that, you know, my husband and I do. We work with a a group called People for the American Way that literally go door to door and help people get out and vote. And that's extremely important because this country is made up of all of us and all of us should feel that our voice is heard. The organization I wanted to um, highlight today is not a new one. It's the Boys and Girls Club of America. And I am so passionate about the mission of this organization to provide real peer mentorship, real community, real um, 
just lift and and positivity in the lives of kids all across America who I think need to feel I'll read you what they said because I think it's so it's so smart and and precise whatever it takes to build great futures their their ideas there's no silver bullet to success it takes an army of people a safe environment high quality programs and unique experiences to level the playing field for all kids Boys and girls clubs don't just do one thing. We do whatever it takes to build great futures for America's young people. And I think the mentorship of uh, and the real deep concerned relationships that that um the older brothers and sisters have with their with their kids is I read a study, I can't remember where it was, but it it said that the biggest determinant in a child's success long-term in life is having one adult other than their parents care about their future. If we want to have unbiased institutions, if we want to have fair um, you know, a, a, a fair mentality. If we want to have a loving, compassionate society, those institutions are only as good as the people whose hands those things are in. That we're the people that give them life, and um, so certainly trying to give as many kids as possible a, an opportunity to feel like they come from a place of security and 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 support with as many adults invested in their future as possible in a positive way. I think is is huge and something that we can invest in for the future. Um, that also does a lot of good today as well. No, great, great organization. One that's been around for a long time so and has long. done such amazing, amazing, amazing things. That's our episode for this week, you guys. And remember, if you if you feel compelled, please give um, us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps so much. And we love when you share us with your friends. That is the best. We can grow our mom brain community. Email us. We love we love your emails. You know, many of you guys asked for a um, a, a podcast about this topic. So, I mean, obviously this is coming from us, but it's coming from you guys as well. So make sure that you keep the ideas coming. We love them. And we're on all social outlets as MomBrain. So look us up and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. This is MomBrain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. MomBrain is a Gallery Media Group original production.